This podcast is taken from our recent guest lecture series at Calvary Chapel Costa Mesa. This summer, we invited good friends, gifted teachers, and wise professors to share on a wide variety of topics that affect all believers. On today's teaching, Gary Brashears answers the age-old question of, how can I know the will of God? Yeah, so I'm Gary Brashears. This QR code is the Slido thing. So after an hour here, we'll have a little bit of interaction. Uh, You can text in questions to the Slido thing here. And then when you go in and look at it, you can look at the questions and you can vote for the ones that you want to uh, ask, you want to see asked. So we'll do that uh, in about an hour when I finish up here on the will of God. So that'll come up. So uh, what I want to talk, what I was asked to talk about tonight is uh, how do you find the will of God for your life? And there's a whole background of that, but can we get up a a presentation here and... uh, there we go. So, Bible. This is, you know, the passage. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And then the last sentence, then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good and pleasing and perfect will. That's what I want to look at tonight, is how do you do that? Now, by way of introduction, I, one of the will of God for my life was marrying Sherry Vesey, who's been my wife now for over 55 years and still professes to love me. So I'm very glad for that. Uh, Sherry and I were married in 1968. Uh, she married a math teacher whose will of God was to become a PhD in math, to get a job at a university and become a professor who would uh, sponsor an university or crew club because I saw the power that a faculty member can have in working with clubs, Bible clubs, uh, discipleship clubs on a university campus. I thought, do you think that'd be a good thing for me to do? Say yes. yes. Yeah, absolutely. So we got married and I've always been a decisive kind of guy. So between the time when I first saw Sherry she was hired to be take my job at a, as a bookkeeper in a leasing company when I went to Colorado to teach math. From the day I saw her to our wedding day was a grand total of 99 days. I'm pretty decisive. And we got married. And four months later, I said, this is going really well. Let's have a baby. Do not do as we did. I mean, it worked out for us, but oh, my, my. And then we went to Colorado. I'm in a church, good church there, Lakewood Baptist. And a guy from the Philippines came. He was a superintendent at Faith Academy. And the pastor of the church said, hey, Gary, why don't you go talk to Don Bozel? I said, I don't want to talk to Don Bozel. Well, he's doing missionary kid education. So I said, I'm a math teacher at Jefferson County Schools. And I love the district. And I like what's happening. And I'm going to university math prof and run a crew club. Why don't I want to talk to him? Oh, because he's doing missionary kid education. I don't care about missionary kid education. I, 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 you know, forget this. Gary, would you go talk to Don Bozel? No, I don't want to talk. Gary, would you go talk to Don Bozel? So I did. <sighs> really uninterested. About halfway through the conversation with Sherry sitting beside me, now my pregnant wife, I, I discovered this guy's recruiting me. I was not anticipating that. 
because I'm not interested at all. So when somebody asks you, would you like to come work for me, what's the first question you ask? How much do you pay? And Don Bozo laughed out loud because they don't pay anything. You raise your own support. Well, my answer to him is don't call me and I guarantee you I'm not calling you. Six months later, we were in the Philippines. Will of God. Because when that happened, I mean, I literally was not interested at all. Zero, less than zero interest. But God's will was that Sharon and I go to the Philippines, which we did. And the thing I want to do is, how do you discover things like that? Uh, now, and, and I've had several different things uh, in God speaking. Just almost two years ago, I, I got a diagnosis that the melanoma that had been here in the side of my head had metastasized my lung and brains. Lung and brain, I've only got one, as far as I know. I, and uh, that was quite a shock because melanoma is an extremely aggressive cancer and when I first had it there was no cure there's no chemo for melanoma at all talked to the uh, uh, my family doctor and what ended up happening I was teaching in Boise and mid-afternoon break I got this call that the dispersed nodules in my lungs which could only be melanoma because lung cancer would be a mass and I took the call at break, talked to Dr. Uh, Walksmith, and went back and taught Galatians for two more hours in the class, went to Stephen Barb Walker's house, had dinner with them, bunked at their house, didn't say anything to them, praying about this because I didn't know what to respond to it. And that night on the plane home the next morning, words formed in my mind that were of God, this is not the end, keep on with what you're doing. And... Uh, you know, that's the will of God. I wasn't, I, did, I was just so overwhelmed by this thing, I didn't know what to ask. It was just, Lord, what are you saying? And that formed, and so I did that, and immunotherapy is in effect, and I'm about a year and a half into Opdivo, and except for a little bit of rash on my arms, you know, I'm, the cancer stopped, which I'm very glad for. But see, that's the thing, is the will of God comes in lots of different ways. So what I want to do here tonight is just run you through, in fairly brief form, uh, approaches to discovering the will of God. And when we're done with this, then you will know the will of God for your life perfectly. So, how can I find God's will for my life? And I'm going to focus in on Acts 13, but we'll look at some other passages as well. And... Uh, so this is what I was taught growing up. God's will, step one, God has a plan for my life. You know, Jeremiah 29, I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. God has a plan for your life. That's step one, okay? Now, some people don't believe that, but I think God has both a name and a plan for every one of his children, okay? Step two, I must discover it to be blessed. Those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. Did you guys get a handout, by the way? No. Okay, no handout, sorry. Uh, those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. But that means I need to seek Him. Okay? Step three. What does Luke 12 say? The servant who did not act according to his master's will will receive a severe 
beating. Oy. That says, if I miss it, I'm in trouble. How many want a severe beating from God? Okay. Nobody. Yeah, okay, good. So I pray for guidance. James, if anyone lacks wisdom, he should ask God, who gives generously to all, and it will be given to him. Okay? So I look for signs. Gideon said to God, if you save Israel by my hand, I'll place a wool fleece on the threshing hold. So God had already told him, go save Israel, a warrior and that kind of thing. And Gideon said, hmm, let's just confirm things. Okay, fleece. Wet fleece, dry ground, I'll know that you want me to do this. He wakes up in the morning and what do you have? Wet fleece, dry ground. What does he do? <clears throat> New fleece. Dry fleece, wet ground. He wakes up the next morning, dry fleece, wet ground. So we put out a fleece to find out what God is doing. Now, I found that fleeces sometimes are like marrying Sherry. Okay, I want to marry the girl. So let's see, it's uh, rain pretty likely tonight. Okay, wet fleece, I know you want me to marry Sherry. Eh, that's called cooking the books. I seek wise counsel. Man of understanding will acquire wise counsel. I try to decide. Did I get it right? And see, what I was taught, and this is very common, is this. What's the will of God? It's that little gold dot. That's the place of blessing. What's a salmon color? That's where God is disappointed because you missed his will. What's the red? That's where God's mad at you. This is what I was taught is God has a specific plan for your life and you must discover it in order to be blessed. That's what I just took you through. Or to put it in a different way, this is today and I'll keep it simple. You've got three possibilities. Okay, cool. One of three, I can kind of handle that, but then there's tomorrow and each one of these grows three possibilities. Hmm. And then there's the next day. Whoosh! Hoy! What do I need to do? I need to discover out of all those courses, is it here? Uh, is it there? No, it's there. Okay, so I need to find those. And that's only, that's much simpler than real life. And if I miss a little bit, like here, what's God feeling toward me? What's God feeling toward me? Disappointed. If I'm out here, he's mad at me. Okay. This is a problem, folks. And here's the thing. In my understanding, this is the wrong picture. This is the wrong picture of God's will. And I think this teaching, I know for me, made life really, really difficult. And I don't think this is a picture at all. So what I'd like to do here in this next uh, module is just think through what I think is the way to approach the will of God. So let's go to Acts 13. Church of Antioch, there were prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon called Niger, Lucius, Cyrene, uh, Manion, who had been brought there by Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. 
And while they're worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I've called them. So after they'd fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and sent them off. The two of them went on the way to the Holy Spirit down to Seleucia, sailed from there to Cyprus. When they arrived at Salamis, they proclaimed the love of God in the Jewish synagogues. They traveled through the whole island until they came to Paphos. They had met a Jewish sorcerer and false prophet named Bar-Jesus, who had been intended proconsul Sergius Paulus, proconsul, an intelligent man, sent for Barnabas and Saul because he wanted to hear the word of the Lord. But Elimus the sorcerer, for that's what his name means, opposed them and tried to turn the proconsul from the faith. Then Saul, who is called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked straight at Elimus and said, you're a child of the devil, an enemy of everything that's right. You're full of all kinds of deceit and trickery. Will you never stop perverting the right ways of the Lord? Now the hand of the Lord is against you. You're going to be blind, and for a time you'll be unable to see the light of the sun. Immediately, mist and darkness came over him. I want the gift of blinding people, by the way. <laughs> he groped about seeking someone leading by the hand. When the proconsul saw what had happened, he believed for he was amazed at the teaching about the Lord. Very fun story. Very fun story. So, how did they discover the will of God? How did they discover the will of God? It's not they're fasting and praying. No, that's after things happen, they're fasting and praying. How did they discover the will of God? Were they seeking the will of God? No, they were worshiping the Lord. It's just normal worship service. And in the midst of it, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for Saul and Barnabas. So this is the very voice of God that spoke. We're not told how they heard it or things like that, but there are times when God just speaks, and there it is. And that's happened in my life decisively uh, several times. One of them was going to the Philippines. Now, this is the proverbial burning bush, of course. But let's go a little bit later. They were sent out by the Holy Spirit, and they went to Cyprus. Why did they go to Cyprus? That's where Barnabas is from. There's no voice of God that says go to Cyprus in this place, they're sent by the Holy Spirit, but they're not sent to Cyprus. They go to Cyprus because that's Barnabas' home. This is a point of wisdom. Go where you have relationships, build on the relationships to do the gospel, seems to me. Very different way. Did they do the will of God when they went to Cyprus? I think so. A little bit later. Will of God? Say yes. That's Paul's desire. You're a jerk. I want you to be blind. So you see here in a short story, you get the will of God coming in a lot of different ways. Let's go to another story. Exodus chapter 3. Moses, the flock on the... Uh, I'm missing some words there. <laughs> uh, Moses doing uh, shepherding the flock on the far side of the desert and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. 
There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. So that's the burning bush. That is the proverbial burning bush. And that's the spot where he's looking and the bush is burning. And in that spot, we find literally the burning bush and God is speaking from the burning bush. And, you know, go back to Moses, go back. And this is where Henry Blackaby, who's been around for a while now, in his book, Experiencing God, Knowing and Doing the Will of God, his thing is, there will be a burning bush, wait for it. Don't do anything. Stay where you're at until the burning bush comes, and then whatever it tells you to do, do it immediately. Which is, well, Moses doesn't do it immediately. have this conversation with God, but then he goes back to Egypt and does what God tells him to do. So Barnaby is, Blackaby, is arguing that wherever you are, you stay there until the burning bush and God specifically tells you to go somewhere else. So this is one shepherd's story. Moses, where God appears in the bush and says, go back to Egypt and tell Pharaoh to let my people go. But there's another shepherd's story. First Samuel 17, David. Who's Jesse? That's his daddy. Daddy says to kiddo, take this grain and this bread and go to your brothers and hurry there because your brothers are, uh, are there. See how your brothers are and bring back some assurance for them. There was Saul and all the men of Israel in the valley of Elah fighting the Philistines. So I'm going to skip some stuff here. As he's talking with the brothers, Goliath stepped out from his lines and shouted his usual defiance. When David heard it, he said, uh, they all run away. The men of Israel are afraid of this guy. How come? He's big and bad. And they run away in great fear. David says, uh, I'll just go kill him. You know, why didn't somebody, who puts up with this? He's mocking our God. Why don't we just go kill him? What does Samuel, what does Saul say? I, dude, you're a tough guy, but I mean, like he's, he's been doing UFC and eating guys like you for lunch for as long as you've been alive. I mean, you're, now boy, don't think 12 years old, think 21 years old. And he's a, he's a shepherd. And David's response is, your servant has killed the lion and the bear. The uncircumcised Philistine would be like one of them because he's defied the enemies of the living God. I'll just go kill him. Not a problem. The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will deliver from the hand of this Philistine. So Saul dressed David in his own tunic, put a coat of armor on him and a bronze helmet. How come he did that? How come he did that? Yeah, he needed it. I mean, you're going to go fight this big old Philistine. You need some armor, otherwise he'll kill you. What does David do? This ain't going to work for me. This is not going to work for me. So he takes them off and throws them on the ground. Or maybe hands them back to Saul. Chose five smooth stones from the stream, put in the pouch of the shepherd's bag, and went to sling and hand to approach the Philistine. Now, now not ruin the story for you, but it's, it's kind of dramatic. You should read it on your own time. Now, question, did David do the will of God? Where did God reveal himself to David? 
Did you hear the voice of God? Did you hear the voice of God? Did you hear the voice? According to the narrative, there's no voice of God. And we all we can take is what's the narrative. You can't add to what the Bible says. It's just we take the story as told. Did he seek counsel? Well, kind of, sort of. Counsel was given to him. Did he follow the counsel? We're supposed to do it, aren't we? Did he follow his own desire? Yes. He did. Did he do God's will? Yes. Hmm. Why? He's a man after God's own heart. Now see the two shepherd stories. Moses the shepherd. How long has he been running sheep around the wilderness there? Forty years. And Blackmeet says, be like him. Herd sheep until the burning bush shows up. Then do whatever God tells you to do. But this other shepherd story, how long has David been running sheep? Quite a while. Quite a while. I mean, we don't know how old he is, but he's been doing it for several years. And his daddy says, go take some bread with your brothers. And he does it. And he hears Goliath, and he says, well, just kill that kid. You kill that big old guy. He's a man after God's own heart, and he does his will. So, now, before I go here, uh, this is your chance. I comments, questions. Yell it out real loud. I'll repeat it. Maybe you can hear it here. Questions, comments so far from the stories. Have courage. Okay, he had just made a statement, not a question. But let's turn it into a question. If we love God, can we do what we want to do? Okay, I want to blind people in the name of Jesus. I do. I've got some candidates in mind. I'm working with a bad guy right now. This is a pastoral abuse situation. I'm in the middle of the story, and I want to get that guy. Is that God's will for me to go blind him? That's what I want to do. I seriously want to do it. There might be a time and a place for it, but is it tomorrow afternoon? Yeah. <laughs> If I do what I want, will I do God's will? Well, there's a whole theology of sanctification behind that. I think that when we're born again, that God implants a new heart. And my new heart, my true self, does want to be Christ-like stuff. But as Romans 7 makes really clear, I've got a whole other set of desires called sin and flesh that are personalized, and those are not godly. So I've got this inner war going on between my deepest, truest self, but this other very powerful self that is still marred by sin. If I do what I want, will I do God's will? Well, I got this war going on inside me. So I think that might be a little too simple. And Brian, you said it. Let's get you corrected. Yeah. Comments, questions? You put a couple of ifs in there. If I stay in the word and some of those kinds of things. But that's, that's the question we're asking. Uh, if I do have a new heart, my truest desires are godly desires. I think that's true. We also have this war going, the flesh wars against the spirit and against the flesh. And that makes it a little harder than just, you know, there's some discovery that needs to go on there.
But that's, yeah. I do think our deepest desires are godly desires. But depending where on the Christian maturity thing, we've got some other stuff going on. And a lot of times, especially in younger believers, I find my deepest desires are godly, but my strongest desires aren't. Because I've been habituated in some ungodly attitudes and actions. Comments, questions? Yeah, you're, you're outlining it well. Where the Bible speaks, of course, that is God's will. But how we apply it can be a little iffy sometimes. Uh, and there are things where the Bible doesn't speak, like should I go to the Philippines or not? The Bible doesn't speak to that directly at all. And that's where some of the individual stuff comes in. And uh, so you're saying pray and ask God what he wants. Well, that's what we're talking about is discovering the will of God is how do we do that and what's involved in that. Yeah, good points. Uh, Moses wasn't standing still, but he wasn't changing what he was doing. Forty years he was herding sheep. And Henry Blackaby, who's saying wait for the burning bush, says don't just pick up and move until God tells you to pick up and move. And he's thinking of people who get dissatisfied and move, and he thinks moves too quickly and move on their own whim instead of on God's will. So he's saying, let's wait until God specifically says, do something before you do it. Now, I disagree with him, but he's responding to people who really don't think that God does reveal his will, so they just do whatever they want to do. Yes. Uh, well, I just what I did there in the thing is I looked at those three. There are times when God says, go set apart Saul and Barnabas. There are times where they act according to wisdom, and that's where they go to Cyprus because they have relationships there. And then there's desire in the Acts 13 story. Then in the David and Goliath story, there's no voice of God at all. But he acts in godly ways this man is defying the will of God he needs to be paid for that let's go kill him which is a desire but it's not wisdom because they said this guy he I mean he's been fighting and winning people like you forever and his counselors don't do it and he does it anyway so that's a little complicated but those are the those are some things I'm I'm gonna unpack that a little bit more but that's a great question yeah one more back there I, well, kind of, sort of. I, my sheep listen to my voice and I know them. Yes, that's true. I mean, that's the point you're doing. They follow me. So the shepherd is directing. Well, that's the voice of God type thing. But what do you do when there isn't a voice of God like David's story? Yes, David has had experience with God. He's a man after God's own heart. But we're seeing a spot there where he's acting, there's no voice of God, and he's acting against wisdom. And he's still doing the will of God. Because if he just stayed with what he had been doing, he'd stay and be a shepherd. He wouldn't be out there fighting Goliath. So I'm, I think, if I'm understanding what you're saying, he went against what God has been doing with him up to that date. Am I understanding you right? Yes. He was protecting sheep from the lion and the bear. Now he's protecting Israel from Goliath. But those are way different situations. But similar. Yeah. But how do you know it's the will of God to do these things? 
Like in my case, how do I know it's the will of God to go to the Philippines? Well, the still small voice is how do we know that's the will of God? I mean, that's the... Uh, how do you learn to know the voice of your shepherd? That's a... Uh, okay, I can hear the Bible, but you're talking about something that's going beyond the Bible. And see, that's exactly the question we're asking here. Yeah. How do you know this is? Let me give you some things to think about because I've only got an hour to work with here. And uh, this could be a 15-hour lecture, and I don't think you want to stay around quite that long. I know I don't. When I look at the will of God, I've got five things that the Bible says are the will of God. And when you look in Scripture, the various places where it talks the will of God, the first will of God, and I just read it in the one of the places in the Romans passage, it's Romans chapter 12, uh, offer your bodies a living sacrifice. Don't conform to the past world, but be transformed by the renewing your mind, and that is the will of God for you. So I look at that, the first point in the will of God, and this is by far the most common will of God thing in Scripture, is cultivate a Christ-like heart. And that Christ-like heart is being in a spot where I'm loving God with everything I am. So loving God means stay loyal to Him, it means take what he says and do it even when it makes no sense. And it means acting in such a way that's consistent with the character of God. That's what love God with everything I am. And of course, be the most Christ-like person I can possibly be. And the life of Jesus gives us principles on how to live those things. And that is, if you look in scripture, that's about 85% of the will of God stuff is be a Christ-like person. So what, and some of you said that in your comments, thank you for that. The first goal is to put to death, so putting here in Colossians chapter 3, for example, you've been raised with Christ, set your minds and hearts on things above, set your things on above, not on earthly things. But then he says here, because you've died, your life is hidden with Christ. Therefore he says, put to death whatever things belong to your earthly nature. So the will of God is that I will put to death these kinds of things. And the will of God is because I have put on the new self, I'm part of the new creation, then I, the will of God is that I, as a God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with these kinds of attitudes. That's the will of God for everybody. So things like compassion, things like kindness, humility, gentleness, patience, forbearance, forgiving one another, put on love, which and let the peace of Christ. This is the will of God for everybody, and that's job one. When you think of the will of God, that's the first thing, is have a Christ-like heart, a Christ-like person, be the most Christ-like person I can possibly be. That's what we're talking about, the new heart, is we want to enhance the things of the new heart, and that's what he's saying. Put on these kinds of things. Clothe yourself with the compassion. Practice being kind. Work on being humble with the power of the Holy Spirit and the help of other believers, and that's will of God is to be the most Christ-like person I can possibly be. So love the Lord God with your heart, 
soul, mind, strength. Exodus 34 is the most quoted verse in the Bible by the Bible. So this is John 3.16 of the Bible. This is the most quoted verse in the Bible by the Bible. It quotes and refers to this verse more often than anything else. And this is where Moses, or God passes in front of Moses and he says his name. The Lord, the Lord, Yahweh, Yahweh. I've got a name I want to relate. And what's the first thing he says about himself? He is compassionate. What does that mean? Compassionate, in the word English, means to feel with. The Hebrew word there is the word ruham. And the interesting thing is that ruham, I mean, there's a lot of interesting things here, but one of the interesting things is the word ruham is closely related to the Hebrew word for womb. And what he's saying is to characterize God's very first thing it says about God is that he feels for golden calf worshipers, sinful kids, the way a mom feels to the child who came out of her womb. And as we know, the mother bear mom, even when kid is way off into bad stuff, there's a unique compassion and care, and that's the way God feels. And that's the first thing Paul tells us to put on in Colossians chapter 3, is that kind of compassion that feels with at that deep connective level. That's the first thing about God and the first thing that Paul says we should put on. That's the will of God is be that kind of a person. Now he goes on, I care. What's the next one? What does gracious mean? In a word, it means I help. Whom does God help? Golden calf worshippers, sinful kids. He is slow to anger. You can make him mad, but you have to work at it. He is abounding in faithfulness, chesed, and love, emet. Sorry, it's the wrong direction. Faithfulness is emet, love is chesed. And forgiving, weakness, rebellion, and sin, let does not leave the guilty unpunished means he is just. Those seven things are the primary characteristics of God. And we are to be like him. Will of God, job one, is to be this kind of a person. Okay, class dismissed. Come back in two years and tell me how you're doing. <laughs> so that's job one. When you think will of God, that's number one. And scripture is telling us now how to do that, how to overcome the sinful patterns in our life, how to become addictive behaviors, how to overcome trauma, how to overcome socializations, those kind of things. That's a lot of work. That's why you join a church like Calvary to do this thing. And that's Colossians 3. They just talked about those same kind of thing. First Thessalonians chapter 5. We urge you to warn those who are idle, help the weak, be patient with everyone, Make sure that nobody pays wrong for wrong, but always be kind to each other. You know anybody who's doing that these days on social media? You know anybody's doing this on social media? Christians are crucifying each other on social media. The will of God is don't pay back wrong for wrong. Be kind to each other. Be joyful always. Pray continually. Give thanks in all circumstances. Why? 
This is the will of God for you in Christ Jesus. Job one in the will of God is to be as Christ-like as we possibly can be and then keep on being more Christ-like. That's the will of God for you. Okay, but that's not the end of it. Pray that you have anything that keeps you from obeying his will. That's the convicting work of the Holy Spirit. Help me get rid of the sinful stuff in my life that keeps you from doing this. All scriptures God breathes, used for teaching, rebuking, correcting, training, and righteousness, and the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Number two, coming from this passage, listen carefully to God's word, following the moral guidelines, especially the larger issues like teaching, like reaching out to lost folk using my gifts for his service. Listen carefully to the Word of God because what Scripture says for all of His children is true for all of us. Scripture is used for teaching, correcting, rebuking, training, and righteousness. So listen to God's Word. And that's pretty obvious. We've said that in our comments here. That's number two. Listen carefully to God's Word. Being careful, I'm hearing what it says, not misinterpretation. That's why we study the Bible in context of other people preferably people from different ethnic backgrounds, different socioeconomic groups, different theological tribes, and say, what is the Bible saying? And then how can I put it into practice accurately? This is not controversial, of course. Third, what is this saying? Yeah, seek wisdom and understanding. Look for it like silver. Search for it and then you understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. So a third point is live and act wisely. What was the first one? I know I'm a teacher. I want you to remember. Christ like heart. Second is what? Listen carefully to God's word. Third is how to get wisdom. Well, there's several different ways you find in Scripture. One of them is seek wise counsel. Look at people who are wise and godly. They're not necessarily older than me, but they may be. Find somebody who's acting wisely and sit next to them and learn from them. The question, does it make sense? Did it make sense for me to go to the Philippines in 1969? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. I'd already gotten three induction orders from Selective Service to go play in Vietnam at a draft for a job teaching math, a pregnant wife, no support whatsoever for financial support, and a whole other reasons why it made no sense whatsoever to go. But that's a good thing to do. Is this in line with who I am? See, and that's the kind of question that when I'm talking to people about being married, I do a lot of relationship counseling as a part of the pastor side of my life. <clears throat> One of the things I ask about is I get to know what's your personality and what are these personalities. Are those two personality types compatible? Because there are some personality types that do not work. You get two strong-willed people, unless they're really good at dodging flying plant, frying pans, flying at each other, it ain't going to work. Or you got to work out how to accommodate each other and is this in line with who I am. So would it be a good for me uh, as a Enneagram 8 
to go into a spot where, well, you can imagine what I would say. No, it wouldn't make any sense at all. Have I considered all the possibilities? Thing of relationship counseling again, well, I better marry Bill because if I don't marry Bill, I'll be lonely the rest of my life. Well, there are a couple other possibilities. You know, so that's, it's amazing how many times people don't look at the possibilities, just a point of wisdom. Have I really counted the costs and benefits, including the impact on other people? I see people regularly saying, I'm called into pastoral ministry, but their spouse is not called. Have I counted the costs that will be on other people before I do things? That's just wisdom. Is in line with their commitments I made. That's just wisdom. And that's an important piece of what goes on here. Second Chronicles. How do you discover the will of God here? How do you discover the will of God here? How? Inquire of God. Inquire of God. And that's my fourth step. Inquire of God, allowing for divine intervention. And that's the mistake I made, I put in quotes, with the thing to the Philippines. Uh, I didn't inquire of God initially. He, he inquired of me. And then I said, okay, like, really? And he said, yes. Inquire of God. God often speaks through other people. So I, in, I talked to other people and had them pray. But it's really important you test the spirits because not everything I hear in my head and not everything comes from other people is the word of God. So testing the spirits. So some of the things you do, is it loyal to Yahweh? Is it consistent with God's word? Is their word upbuilding? These are testing of prophets. Do the elders of my church affirm their word? These are just some ways to test. Is a voice, in my case, go to the Philippines. I did all of these things. Is it consistent with the character of God for me to teach missionary kids math when they could not get math teachers to come to the Philippines to teach missionary kids? Well, going to the broken and lost, absolutely, that's will of God. Is it consistent with God's word? Yes. Is that... Is the, is the people speaking in my life, are they upbuilding? And that turned to be the case. Do elders, leaders of the church affirm that? I went to my church and said, and that ended up a several month process, and we ended up going to the Philippines. So inquire of God. And then lastly, do what would make you most deeply happy. Now this is not number one, this is number five. What's number one? Christ-like heart. Number two, listen to carefully God's word. Number three, wisdom. Number four, inquire of God. Sometimes he has an opinion. Number five, do what will make most deeply happy. So Psalm 34 that you were referring to earlier, ma'am, delight yourself in the Lord and he'll give you the desires of your heart. That's where that's at. Now, let me put this in graphic form. Remember this nasty little chart? What's job one? What's job one? 
be Christ-like. That's like 85% of the will of God. Am I growing in Christ-likeness? Will this help me grow in Christ-likeness? And that's not only in character, that's attitudes and actions as well. Number one, be Christ-like. Will this decision help me be more Christ-like and do the kinds of things God has for me? What's number two? This word of God. What does the word of God do in most cases? It rules out the sinful stuff. Because in a lot of cases, like the, me going to the Philippines, the scripture didn't say anything about whether I should go to Manila or not. But it did rule out a sinful stuff. Job three is what? Wisdom. And what does that do? That rules out the stupid stuff. <laughs> now, they're stupid and they're just not wise, but there's a lot of stupid stuff too. And wisdom will do out things that, I mean, make, may seem like fun, but it's just not stupid given your overall commitments, who I am, and what other things I've got going on in my life. What's job four? Choir of God. If God says, and you get the burning bush, and he says, go here, what do you do? You go there. Here we go. What happens, though, if there's no bush? What's job five? No, this is inquire of God. That's what this is. And my thing is, every one of these remaining options are what I call blessable options. See, and this is key to what I'm trying to palm off on you here. If I am working hard on being Christ-like, if I'm paying close attention to Scripture to rule out sinful stuff, if I'm paying attention to wisdom to rule out stupid stuff, and I'm really inquiring of God to see if he has an opinion, sometimes he does, sometimes he doesn't, everything that's left is a blessable place. How do I pick which one of those several blessable places I do? How do I pick which one? The one that will make me most deeply happy. That's my choice and that's God's will. Now remember, I think all of these are blessable places. Going back to my original dot. It's not a dot in most cases. There are a lot of places where God's will could be fulfilled. And my choice out of those blessable places is God's will, it seems to me. Well, but I get there and I say, whoa, wait a minute, wait a minute. What about this? What should I do at this point? Stop second-guessing and get back what you chose was God's will. Do it with all your heart. Now, I want to say this again, because this is what happens so commonly. After I make the choice, I have buyer's remorse. Oh, man. I'm married to Sherry, but Rosalie looks really good. No, 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 no. I mean, to be a little silly. But see, that's what happens so commonly because all of those are blessable places. 
Those are all blessable places. If I pick this one, that's God's will for me, and I don't do the what ifs. But those others could be God's will too. Yeah, but you didn't pick that one. And that's where the commitment comes in when I make a choice then I don't go back and second guess it, I move ahead. Now, what's the obvious question? What happens, will God tell me what to do if I ask? What's the answer? Sometimes. What's frustrating about that? A lot, you know. God, just tell me. And a whole lot of times he doesn't. So, is God going to be mad at me? No. Yes, he might. Remember, he is slow to anger. What will make God mad? If I choose sin and stick with it. I know good plans to prosper. I'm not here to harm you. But remember, where are these people getting this word from God? Babylon. They're in Babylon. Why are they in Babylon? Because they ignored God for 400 years, and he finally said, you're going to Babylon, and it ain't going to be fun. He has good plans. If you, being evil, know how to good gifts to your children, how much more your Father in heaven give you good gifts. The point is, God's plan are good plans. The problem comes is when we get out of God's plan, is he going to be mad at me? Not unless I persist in sin. But I chose this and not that. Okay. As long as you're a blessable place, God's a, God's a happy camper. My view. You're getting ready to text questions, right? What am I to think when he's silent? I inquire of God and I hear nothing. And that happens sometimes. I got an inquiry, I teach at Western Seminary up in Portland. I got an inquiry here a good while back from Dallas Seminary. I'd already committed not to make any lateral moves because I'm a long-term relationship person. But Dallas Seminary would be an upgrade because I'd be involved in a doctoral program that's multinational. And it's a good school, was and is. And I got an inquiry, would you like to join our theology faculty? And I asked God, and what did God say? Nothing. What am I to think when he says nothing? I remember he's compassionate and gracious. He's not jerking me around and being silent to see if I can figure out the mystery of his will. Because I'm responsible not for some mysterious will, I'm responsible for his revealed will. Didn't God promise wisdom if I ask? What does it say here? If you lack wisdom, you should ask God and it will be given to him. The trick is, what is wisdom from God? And wisdom from God, a little later in James, is a character trait. Not shall I wear the brown socks or the black socks. Not shall I stay at Western and go to Dallas. Now, I didn't go to Dallas, obviously, and there's reasons for that. But the wisdom he's talking about is not decision-making, it's character trait. If I'm lacking a character wisdom, ask God and he'll give it to me. It's not asking, should I, what should I have for supper kind of things. Or whom shall I marry? What if I go wrong? 
what if I make a decision and I, well, the thing is, talk about it with God and his people will help. See, and what happens so often is when we get into sin, we go into shame land and we go hide, and that's never God's will. God's will is to confess the sin, talk about it with God and his people, and you'll get help and then move back to the blessable place. So to do it graphically, what happens if I get off into sin land? I'm down here in the red zone, and I discover I'm in the red zone, what should I do? What should I do? Repent and move back into a blessable place. And the thing is, God and his gracious people will help you do that, and they'll not shame you and blog about you, God's people will help you make that, but you've got to talk about it. You've got to come out and say, I don't think I'm in a good place. What about fleeces? Gideon did fleeces. Do you ever wonder why Gideon did fleeces? What? Was Worse than scared. Yeah. <laughs> what did God say? Go, Go fight the Midianites. What did, what did Gideon think? I think I'm going to get killed. I don't think God, I don't think you really want me to do that, but God had already told him to do it. Why is he putting out a fleece? To try to avoid what God told him to do. By the way, fleeces are a pagan way of knowing God. Fleeces are not God's way of doing things. Look at the Bible. That's the only time anything like that is done, and Gideon is a mixed character at best. Fleeces generally are not God's will to do things. What's God's will of finding out God's will? Inquire of God, go to his people, go to his word. That's where he found out God's will. Fleeces in general are a way to avoid God's will or pass responsibility instead of choosing blessable places myself to get God to do it through some sort of fleece that's usually manipulated anyway. I'm not a fan of fleeces. And Gideon, remember, his is to avoid what God had already told him to do. So don't follow the model of a bad guy. Doesn't God have a hidden will? Doesn't God have secret plans? I'm God, there's no like me, I make known the end from the beginning, from ancient times, what done, my purpose will stand, I have all, would do I please? It's not my problem. His hidden will that he doesn't tell me is not my problem. The problem I have is his revealed will, or things that should be revealed if I inquired of him. Can I, con can I count on God closing doors? Lord, if you don't want me to do this, then close the door. Can I count on God closing doors? No. I can't. He will let me disobey. And when I say, God, if you don't want me to do this, close the door. Or if there's an open door, then no, God opened the door. Sorry, Satan opened doors too. We can disobey God. I think that the idea, if I pray to God and tell him to close the door, I just never guarantee to do that. He doesn't. So I don't think so. The will of God comes other ways I've talked about here. Why are things so messed up? Well, 
could be this enemy of God is doing his thing. Could be just a broken world, but this is a messed up world. This is not God's perfect world, seems to me. This is my friend Catherine Kuhn. I've known her for 40 years. This is what hope is. The confident, active expectation of good based on the character of God. I live in hope. I live in hope. This is an incredibly messed up world. Full of sinful stuff, full of the enemy's work. He is the prince of this world. But I have a confident expectation of good based on the character of God, because God is at work in all circumstances, and we all agree on that. So I live in hope. God can do amazing stuff, and I can be an agent of that. Thank you for joining us for today's episode. We look forward to more opportunities to share great teachings and conversations with special guests at Calvary Chapel Costa Mesa. Don't forget to subscribe for more great biblical teaching and visit cccm.com to find out how you can be part of these conversations in person.